We're going to turn today to the book of Genesis, chapter 15. Um, first of all, I have uh, the sermon notes here. Uh, I want everyone to have one of those so you can follow up with me, or at least every two people. Anybody here doesn't have notes? Mike, you guys have one? Okay, here is two. I think I have plenty. All right, Mike. Anybody else? Uh, notes? Okay. Sure, sure, sure. All right, Wayne, you need one. Okay, I'm going to give you guys a couple. I know you just came. So here is three. All right, everybody has some? You good? Okay. I just uh, think it's going to be a good way for you guys to follow up with me, especially if you're going to use a lot of scripture. So let's turn to the book of Genesis. Uh, You can open your Bible or it's in the notes that I um, handed out to you. And we're going to read from chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. Genesis 15, 1 to 6, okay? But we're actually going to stop only at verse 6 today. But it's going to help us understand the background. So here is the, the, what the Bible says, Genesis 15, 1 to 6. After these things, the word, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. This is what Abraham saying to God. You have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Now God is replying, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. This is God's word back to Abraham in verse 4. Now verse 5, And he brought him outside and said, The Lord brought Abraham outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then God said to him, God said to Abraham, so shall be your offspring. And verse 6, and he, Abraham, Abraham believed the Lord and he counted, God counted it to him as righteousness. Amen? Let's all say that verse 6 one more time, all together. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he, God, counted to him as righteousness. Amen? So let's just um, try to look into the context of that phrase, that, that, that verse in verse 6. Verse 1 starts saying, after these things. What happened just in chapter 14 is that Lot, the, the nephew of Abraham, was actually captured by five kings. And Abraham went in with his men, and he delivered Lot out of these five men's captivity. And it seems like a little bit time has passed by at this point, and Abraham starts fearing that these five kings can actually come back against him to revenge because he has defeated them earlier. So after these things, God came to Abraham, and he comforted him. And he said, fear not. Don't you worry about these five kids. I am your shield. I am the one who's going to protect you. And he said, your reward shall be very great. So that is the context here that we read about in verse 6. And then Abraham started telling God, God, you're telling me that my reward will be very great, but 
How can it be I have no children? And God said, don't you worry. You will have a son and he will be your heir. Not Aliazar of Damascus, your, your chief, uh, chief of staff, you know. He said, this is not going to be your heir. Your own son will be your heir. And God wanted to show Abraham the abundance of his promise. So he took him outside and he showed him the star, the skies. And he said, look at the star. Can you count them? The answer is obviously no. And God said, so shall be your offsprings. And then we read that verse. In response to the promise of God, this is what Abraham did. Abraham believed the promise of God. Even though it was in reality hard to believe that he can ever have kids at that age. But in spite of reality, he trusted the word of God. And God looked at his faith that he trusted his word in spite of reality. And God counted that for him as righteousness, as good thing. Amen? Now, it's very interesting. Notice this. In verse 4, when God is talking to Abraham and he said, This man, that's um, Eleazar the Damascus, shall not be your heir, your very own son. Listen to this. The word son here in Hebrews actually literally means the one who's coming out of your loins will be your heir. So the word son here talking about exact physical son who will come out of Abraham's body to be his heir. Okay? But when God spoke about the promise, when he pointed to the star, he said this, So shall be your offspring. The Hebrew word here is different. God didn't say that the people who are going to come out of your physical body, for you out of your loins, will be like the stars of the earth. The Hebrew word here actually means seed. So he's saying, look at the stars, so shall be your seed. They're going to be uncountable. You cannot count them like the stars of the heaven. And I honestly think that that trans, transition here from physical children to actual seed is because God is telling Abraham when he's talking about the seed. I'm not talking about just your physical kids like the nation of Israel that are going to come out of your loins. I'm talking about those who are going to believe the same way you believe the New Testament believers. These are going to be as numerous as the stars of the heaven. Amen? I tell you, it was encouraging for me to notice that yesterday. Because as you go out and witness, it is good to know that there is a promise in the word of God that those who are going to be washed in the blood of Jesus as numerous as the stars of the heaven. Amen? Heaven going to be so populated in Jesus' name. Amen? So verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. If you've never seen the New Testament, if you're a Jew before Jesus, you probably will read that verse and don't think much of it. Right? You think, okay, Abraham just trusted the promise of God and God thought that's a great thing. Counted for him as a great thing. The immediate context makes it a little bit simpler. But under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the New Testament authors quoted that scripture three times in the New Testament. But they teach us so much great things about the principle of justification and how man can be made right with God. Okay? So that's what we're going to dig into today. We're going to see how the New Testament authors, particularly Paul and James, Quoted this scripture three times. And what lessons we can learn out of it. Okay? Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. You guys need to respond back to me. Because I don't know if you're following me or not. You know? So, 
this scripture again quoted three times to talk to us about justification, how a man can be made right with God. But first of all, we need to know what is justification so we can know what these authors, uh, J- Paul and James, were talking about. So what is justification? It's uh, simple. Let me uh, try to use an analogy. I'm going to use my wife. She's not here, hopefully. She's going to be okay with it. Anyways, let's say my wife has a tendency... It's not true. Very hypothetical. <laughs> she has a tendency whenever she finds cash laying around that she just takes it and spends it. Let's say that's the case. Or let's say it's Micah, okay? Whenever he finds cash laying around, he just takes it and spends it. And one time I put a 20 bucks like next to my whatever, next to my bed. Come in the afternoon or the evening, the 20 bucks is gone. I can't say it. Automatically my mind will go toward Micah, my son. You know, he usually takes my money and spends it. So I was like, Micah, come here. Where is my $20? What, what did you do with it? And Michael said, Dad, I didn't take it. Let me justify my situation. The $20 actually fell down, and when it fell down, I just took it and I put it in the drawer. And if you open the drawer, you'll see it there. I opened the drawer, true, the $20 is there. Now, my son Micah has done what? Justified that he hasn't done that wrongdoing. Correct? You guys follow me? So, what is the difference between forgiveness and justification? What is the difference? Forgiveness means I did sin, I made the wrongdoing, and I'm asking that you will be kind to me and just forgive me for it, right? That's forgiveness. Justification, on the other hand, you present the evidence that you have never even sinned in the first place, right? You haven't even done anything wrong. You are justified. Amen? So forgiveness means I sinned and I just need somebody to forgive my wrongdoing. Justification means I haven't even sinned in the first place. I don't need forgiveness because I haven't even done anything wrong. Amen? And this is what God has done to us through Jesus when he died on the cross. He didn't just forgive us. He did forgive us. But he didn't just forgive us. He also did what? Justified us. What that means, when God looks at us, he doesn't see sin no more. He doesn't see as if we've sinned in the first place because the blood of Jesus is all powerful that it has not just wiped our sins away. It has justified us before a holy and righteous God. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you. I'm excited. (laughs) So let's just look at how... Paul and James used that phrase in their writings to teach us three principles about justification, okay? Principle number one is that you cannot bring good works to God to be justified before him, all right? That's principle number one. So you cannot bring any good deed to God. That's principle number one. Principle number two, you cannot even complete your justification by good works, Okay, so you cannot bring good works to be justified, but it's not only that, you cannot finish the process of justification by trying to do good works, all right? That's principle number two. Principle number three, true justification, though, must change your life, and you will produce good works. This is not a requisite for justification. This is the result of justification, amen? That's what James was talking about. So we're going to highlight these three context where the authors of the New Testament have quoted that phrase from Genesis 15, 6. Number one, in Romans chapter 4, Paul was telling us that 
You cannot bring good deeds to be made, to be made justified before God. He quoted that verse um, from Genesis 15. He quoted that in verse 3, in Romans 4.3. But let's read the context and see what exactly Paul was talking about. So Romans 4, 1 to 8. Here is what Paul was saying. What then we, uh, shall we say that Abraham, our forefathers, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter, the matter of being justified before God? Verse 2. If in fact... If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he has something to post about. But this is theoretical. This is not true. This is not what happened. And he said, but not before God. If Abraham would have done good works to be made right with God, then he has something to bring to the table and be justified and be boasting about it before God. But that's not the case. He could have never been justified before God by doing good works. What's your evidence, Paul, that he was not justified before God by good works? Verse 3, he says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In order for Paul to support his idea that Abraham was not justified before God by bringing good works to God, Paul quoted that verse from Genesis 15, 6. And he said, the scripture says that Abraham believed God and it was what? Credited to him for righteousness. This is the NIV. I think the NIV nailed it. Got exactly what was the intention of Paul. The word credited, translated, imputed, accounted, reckoned, so many other translations for it, but honestly, the NIV is exactly, as far as I know, what Paul has in mind. Now, he said that when Abraham believed God, God did what? Credited to him, what? Righteousness or justification. Now, let's think about how can you receive credit. Let's say I go to Bank of America and I apply for a credit card. They look at my history, and they give me a credit for $10,000, something like that, okay? Now, did I earn $10,000? Did I earn $10,000? Do I have to have $10,000 in my bank account? No. I can be broke as I can get, but once the bank approves me for that credit, guess what? I have $10,000 to spend, right? I recommend if you do that to be wise about it, but the fact is, once the bank approves your credit, this credit is available for you to do whatever you want to do with it, right? And this is what Paul was saying here. He's saying that the moment Abraham trusted God and put his faith in God, God deposited in Abraham's account his righteousness and his justification. And all what Abraham has to do from that moment forward is just live and enjoy the justification that God has credited for him free without bringing any works. Amen? Abraham believed God and God credited him justification or righteousness without even doing work for it. And then to emphasize his point, look what Paul says in verse 4. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. So Paul is still preaching in the word credited and he's trying to show us how powerful this word is. And here is the analogy that he's using in verse 4. Let's say I work 40 hours a week, 
Okay, got a new job, worked 40 hours a week. And I get paid $10 an hour, okay? After the first week, my boss comes to me and hand me a check for how much? Barb, you're the treasurer, come on. <laughs> 400 bucks. And let's say the boss handed me a check for $400 and say, hey, we're going to give you $400 credit. What would you do to that boss? You're going to get, I don't know about you, I'm getting in a fight with that boss. You didn't give me no credit. I worked for it, right? You're not doing me no favor. This is my wages. I worked for it. I earned this. And that's exactly what Paul was saying here. Paul was saying if justification can be made by bringing good works to God, then the, the, the Genesis 15, 6 should have not used the word credited. The very reason why Genesis 15, 6 used the word credited is because there was no wages in it. This is a gift from God to man. You cannot bring any good works to be justified before God. Amen? It is not out of obligation. It is not out of wages. It's credit. It's a gift from God to man once you trust in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Preach it, brother. I like it. Verse 5. However, Listen, this is, this is good news right here. This is good news. However, to the one who does not work, does not try to earn justification before God, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. What Paul is trying to say here, Paul is saying that it doesn't matter if you try to work hard or if you never tried to work before because work has nothing to do with you to be made right with God. Justification is a free gift from God once you trust the one who justifies the ungodly. Amen? All what you have to do is just like Abraham, come to God as you are with your sin and felt and say, God, I can't save myself but I trust the one who justifies the ungodly. And when you bring that faith to God, God will deposit into your account his justification and his righteousness. Amen? Just like the way he did it to Abraham. Verse 6. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God does what? Listen to this. Credits righteousness. How? Apart from Works. God credits, deposit his own justification and righteousness. How hard do you need to work for it? Zero. Nothing. You don't have to work a squat to be made right with God. All what you have to do is just come as broken as you are and trust the, way, the same way Abraham trusted and say, God, I can't do it, but you can make me right with you. And he will come into your heart and he'll change you. Amen. God can impute or count or credit righteousness apart from the work. And here is what David said. I think that's Psalm 32. I, I think. I'm not sure. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are the ones whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Notice, David didn't say, blessed is the one who never sinned. Does he say that? Nope. nope. But what does he do? He sins, but the Lord never counted. The Lord never sees sin. Why? Because this person has been justified before God. He has made as if he's never sinned in the first place before God. The Lord count no sin. Amen? Last week when we were in the yard sale, 
I got to talking to this guy from the oneness uh, Pentecostal theology. So they believe that, yes, you have to be just like you have to believe Christ alone for your justification, but then you need to be baptized. And if you're not going to get baptized and speak in tongues, probably then you're never going to be saved. Guess what? Is baptism work or does not work? Is it something you do or something you don't do? Something you do. Guess what? If you can't bring anything to God, then it's not free gifts from God. Amen? There is nothing you can bring to God. Not baptism, not speaking in tongues, nothing you can do on your own that's going to make you right with God. The only thing that can you bring to God is your sinful heart. And say, God, I'm sorry, change me. Amen? That's the one thing that you can offer God. And once you do that, God will credit you with his own righteousness and his own justification. You want to hear some good news? Not really? Okay. (laughs) Let's flip it. Same chapter, Romans 4. Let's just read the last couple of verses. This is good news, friends. Listen to verse 23, what Paul said. These words, now he's quoting again, um, Genesis 15, 6. He says, these words, it was credited to him, was written not for him alone, not for Abraham alone, but also for... Us, this is good news, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. The same way God did it for Abraham, he'll do it for all of us. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to to death for our sins and was raised for our justification. I don't know about you, this is good news. When in, in Genesis, 5, uh, Genesis 15, 6, when the Bible says, and the, and the Lord credited to him for righteousness, Paul say this phrase was not just written for Abraham. This is not an exceptional. This is the rule that anybody, it doesn't matter how sinful you are, how far away from God you are, if you just do whatever Abraham did, you come to God with all your sins and say, God, I trust you and you alone for the salvation of my soul. There's no works I can do here in the exact same God who credited Abraham with righteousness will deposit his own justification and righteousness into your own account. Amen? All what you have to do is just to believe, to trust God alone for his forgiveness and come to him and he will change your heart. The same God who justified Abraham by faith will justify you and me by faith even nowadays. Amen? I don't know about you, that's good news. You don't have to strive. You don't have to try. You don't have to work hard. You don't have to struggle. All what you have to do is just bring your sins to the cross and say, God, I am sorry. Forgive me. And that God who died for, on the cross for your justification and was raised for your justification will change your heart today. Amen. You can bring how much work to be made right with God? Zero. Zero. But number two You can't even finish your justification by trying to work for God as well. And that's what Paul was saying here in Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. That's the second incidence, Paul quoting uh, Genesis 15. Here is what he's telling the Galatians. Well, the background is this. The Galatians um, started good, started very good. They trusted the grace of God for their salvation. And after they did that, they start thinking, you know what? The grace of God might not be enough, so let me try my very best next to that. Okay? So God takes care of the judgment on the cross. That's good. Now let me try to do my best to bring to God 
something so I can complete what he has started on the cross. Amen? Mormons believe the same thing. Mormons say, God will justify you freely. You just do what you can. It's kind of like their analogy is like this. It's like um, you have a car that is $20,000. Your dad uh, tells you, okay, work for a year, save as much as you can. Bring whatever you can, $10, $20, whatever, your very best, and I will add up whatever is needed so you can buy this car, okay? So Mormons believe, like, it's the grace of God. Yes, it is, but we have to do something with it, right? Paul is saying, the Bible is saying it doesn't work this way. Look at what he told the Galatians. He said, you, what? Foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? How come you're just under a spell of magic or something like that? You who before your very own eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. You've known the truth. You've known that Jesus was crucified for your salvation. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Talking about being sarcastic. My wife's telling me that I shouldn't be (laughs) sarcastic. My wife says I shouldn't be sarcastic. Hey, God is sarcastic and Paul was very sarcastic. So I would like to learn one thing from you, Mr. Paul says. Did you receive the spirit by works? Of the law or by believing what you have heard? Rhetorical question. The answer is obvious. You receive the spirit only when you believe what you have heard. Verse 3. Are you foolish? You're so stupid. After beginning by means of the spirit. But after you started by the grace of God. You are now trying to finish by means of the flesh. The flesh here means literally like through your own strength, through your own power, carnal, physical strength. You started by the spirit. You think now you can finish by your own deeds, by trying to bring something to God? Have you experienced so much in vain? Whether he's talking about the power of God or suffering for the sake of Christ, whatever the experience is like, all of this that you've been through, is that all going to be in vain? If it really was in vain, Verse 5, so again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? Again, the answer is obvious. It's only by believing what you have heard. And then he said, verse 6, so also, also say it means just as, he's the second quote, just as Abraham believed God and was credited for him for righteousness. Paul was saying, just as the very moment Abraham believed and God deposited all his righteousness and all his justification in Abraham accounts, Abraham didn't have to do anything afterward so he can be made right with God. So are you. You don't have to try to finish your salvation after you started by the grace of God. You can't go back now and say, okay, you know what? The grace of God took care of part one. Let me try to do my very best after that. Amen? You ask a lot of people, is salvation by faith alone or by works alone or by faith and works? Most people will say faith and works. People who are some, somehow familiar with the scripture. Faith and works. I trust, I know that Jesus is the son of God. I know he died on the cross for my salvation. He took care of the original sin or the judgment of God. That's good. That's part one done. Now let me start to work so I can earn God's justification. The scripture doesn't say that. Amen. Justification is by faith alone through grace alone. And once you trust God just like Abraham, God will credit you all his righteousness and all his justification. Amen. Amen. Good news, friends. Good news. But number three, that's the last quote in the New Testament. 
justification that is by faith alone that you cannot bring any good works to be justified before God, the exact same justification that you cannot finish by trying to do good works before God, this justification must change your life. Must change your life. If your life hasn't changed, you have not believed. If your life has not changed, you have not been justified. Amen? So good works is not a requisite for justification. It is the result of justification. Amen? Alright, so that's the third example where this scripture was quoted in the New Testament. James 2, it's verse 23, but we're going to read the context to know what he's talking about. Now, this is a little bit confusing, so bear with me. Verse 21, this is what James said. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Oh, that's a throwback here. What's going on? How did James say that Abraham was justified by works and not by faith? Here is the tricky part, okay? James, in the context here, is not talking about how to obtain justification, but rather how to show justification, okay? This is the key. We're not going to go into the whole passage, but we can. Hopefully one Sunday we will. But the point of the whole passage here in James is not how you can obtain justification from God, but rather if you are justified before God, how does this justification manifest in itself in your life in front of other your fellow human being? Amen? We talked similarly about that when we talked about the grace of God from Ephesians 2. And we said that the grace of God that raised you up from the dead and seat you up in the heavenly places in front of God is the exact same grace that created you in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in it. Amen? Back then we said the grace of God, you cannot pick and choose. The grace that saves is the exact same grace that changes you and makes you walk godly before the Lord. Amen? And it's the exact same thing when it comes to justification. That justification that is a free gift from God. Once you place your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for the salvation of your soul, that faith must change your life. If it hasn't changed your life, it didn't work. Amen? It wasn't true in the first place. Amen? And in order to support his point, James is using an example of something Abraham did. What was that example in verse 21? The last of the verse, he offered up his son Isaac. Okay? He offered up his son Isaac. Now, I'm going to hold that. Bear with me one second. Let's move on to verse 22. You see that faith was active alongside his work. And faith was completed by his works. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted for him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Amen? Now, what is James talking about here? All right. In verse 23 here says that that scripture was what? Fulfilled. Now, let me ask you a question. Which one comes first? The word the prophecy, or the fulfillment of the word. The word word comes first, then the fulfillment of the word, right? And that's pretty evident from our text here. Because that text, and Abraham believed God, and it was counted for him for righteousness, is a quote from what chapter in the book of Genesis? Chapter 15. 
Do you know when did Abraham offer Isaac as an offering to God? What chapter is that in Genesis? Chapter 22. And there was about 40 years difference between the moment that Abraham was justified before God by faith. 40 years later, that justification was fulfilled. Came to life in front of his fellow human being. How? When he brought Isaac to the altar and wanted to slaughter him before the Lord. So that justification, what James is saying here, that justification that happened by faith in Genesis chapter 15, carried through with, with Abraham for 40 years, and 40 years later, this justification is still manifesting itself in good works. Amen? You follow me? You follow me? What he's saying is this, this justification that Abraham has obtained by faith alone in Genesis chapter 15, 40 years later, still works with Abraham. This is what he said in verse 22. You see, verse 22, you see that faith was active alongside his works. That justification that happened by grace alone in Genesis 15 was still active in his life. 40 years later, even so that he has offered up Isaac. And then he said the list, the end of the verse 22. And faith was completed by his works. The word completed in verse 22. The sense here is something like this. Come to full expression or reach its intended goal. That's what James was saying here. That faith that justified Abraham freely in Genesis chapter 15 reached its goal. How? When it manifested itself 40 years later when Abraham offered up Isaac. Amen? Amen. What are we trying to say? The justification that is free from God by faith must change your life. I don't care how much you claim that you're a Christian. It doesn't matter what you say. That's precisely the point of James in that passage. He said, talk is cheap. You can claim you have faith all what you want. But faith, if it's not going to manifest itself through words, this faith is as good as dead. Amen? That's what James was trying to say. It doesn't matter how, you claim, how much you claim you're a Christian. It doesn't matter how much you say, oh, I'm right with God. I'm justified by God. If your life has never been changed, you have never been made right with God. Amen? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. This is good news, friends. Amen. What happened to Abraham? The same God of Abraham is still alive and well today. And he's willing to credit his own justification and righteousness to anyone who trusts that Jesus died on the cross for our salvation. And through his blood and his blood alone, not by works we can do, not by nothing we can bring to God. Just the blood of Jesus is the only way for us to be made right with God. Amen. And when you bring that faith to God, the Holy Spirit will come into your heart. He'll seal you. And today you'll leave that church a brand new creation. Amen. The Bible says, if anyone in Christ Jesus, he's what? A new creation. Let's all stand up and pray.